0: Hello and welcome to the Good Mood Podcast. My name is Dr. Talia Marcagiani. I'm a naturopathic doctor and I've dedicated my practice to learning everything there is to know about optimizing mental and emotional health. In this podcast, we answer the question, what does it take to live a life of truth, beauty, freedom, vitality, purpose, and joy? In a mix of solo episodes and interviews, I'll be talking about all the things that fascinate me, nutrition, nature, the latest science, psychology and psychotherapy, mindfulness and meditation, Supplementation, and more. I'm so excited to have you here. In today's episode, I talked to Victor Cirone, certified herbalist and scholar of Steiner, Jung, Freud, Hillman, and other psychoanalytic characters. Victor is my friend and a very intelligent person, and this is an awesome conversation that I keep revisiting to suck more nectar out of. In this conversation, we talk about society's search for the perfect image and how this leads to a breakdown in mental and physical health in our society. We also talk about herbs and dreaming, how Jung and Freud's theories of dreaming differ, and how to connect more deeply with the quote-unquote fascinating and threatening other to unify the self and to experience beauty and joy in our lives. I'm so excited for you to listen. Take a look now. All right, we're recording. So this is Victor Tirone, who is, Victor, you introduce yourself. (laughs) Tell us who you are. Okay,
1: well, uh, I am a clinical herbalist, and I'm based in Toronto. And what else do you need to know about me?
0: And you also have an interest in uh, psychoanalysis, psychotherapy, Freud.
1: Yeah, psychoanalysis, psychotherapy. And I don't know the notes that I prepared today, I think, um, there's more psychoanalysis than herbal medicine.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> herbal medicine is just psychoanalysis, anyways. <laughs> it's just uh, you know, botanical versions. Yeah. So. Well,
1: yeah, and I think that that one of the things that we should talk about is this intersection of psyche and matter.
0: Um, <laughs> back together, let's start there, because yeah, yeah. you wrote. Okay, so well, one of the things you wrote on uh, one of my on the Instagram interviews with Katie, yeah. for the men's mental health was that people are in search of the perfect image. Yes. And we so, had our own discussion.
1: So let's start let's start up with, with this notion of the image then, and then you know, we'll start by discussing um, w- what images are, what kind of psychic impact images have, the ways in which, as Jung says, image is psyche, and and explore this notion of the image and then tie that into um, a discussion of herbal medicine, uh, so-called alternative healing practices, and so on. Mm. And maybe so,
0: mental health. Maybe we'll like, narrow it down. Although all health is mental health.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Um, there's 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 these two quotes, uh, and I'll just start by reading them, and then we can go from there. Mm-hmm. So the first one is from Dennis Klocek, who's a contemporary uh, follower of, of Rudolf Steiner. Um, and he says, in today's world, where tremendous volumes of throwaway images are given daily to the soul, there is a vital need for people to develop imagination, to seek spirit vision. The soul life of many is at risk due to the unconscious addiction to unlawful images. Mental instability and tendencies to violence are symptoms of this malaise. The natural world also suffers from this onslaught in that the attentive consciousness of people is taken away from the involvement with the spiritual in nature, Where human beings place their attention, there things begin to develop. This is our role, to pay attention. Whether we wish to heal the soul or to heal nature, the path is the same. Deepen self-awareness and learn to control the flow of inner images. When this path is undertaken, the initial stage is experienced in the capacity to actively seek spirit vision by developing a lawful access to the plane of imagination, the sacred door to the realm of the spirit. So... I mean, we could just spend the hour just talking about mm-hmm. this one quote.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and what, is, what does he mean by imagination? Like, what is that term? Is it like in the in the general sense of imagination, where we think of like cultivating our own images in the mind?
1: Well, so I think that there's a, a, you, we can say a microcosmic and macrocosmic sense of imagination, and I think that this quote pertains to both, and particularly to the intersection of um yeah the, the the personal imagination becoming corrupted through this bombardment with what he calls calls unlawful images mm-hmm. and so when the personal imagination becomes in a way short circuited and pre-programmed images are being fed to, to the soul then the macrocosmic imagination or you can say the mind of nature then doesn't have the, the, the ability or is is actively pre- prevented from influencing the soul expression of the individual being mm-hmm. and the soul expression is then turned into a kind of um, a, a kind of perversity mm-hmm. uh, that is that is governed and controlled and shaped and ruled by these unlawful images um, mm-hmm. and these, these images have uh, not only yeah, again, not only psychological, uh, per- personological, psychological implications, but as he says, the the, the role of the image extends into uh, the, the, the realm of nature as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whether we wish to heal the soul or to heal nature, the path is the same. Deepen self-awareness and learn to control, control the flow of inner images. So... Mm-hmm. This ability to control the flow of inner images not only pertains to the individual, the, the well-being of the individual, but also the well-being of the external world. And the, the presumption that there's any separation between the well-being of the individual and the well-being of, of the cosmos is a, a crippling illusion on which contemporary psychology is founded. Yes. And so, contemporary psychology is, is, is rooted in an intrinsic, pathologi- uh, intrinsic pathological view. That posits the separation between individual psychological well being and the well being of the natural world. And one of the things that I like so much about this passage is that it shows precisely how this flow of inner images completely dismantles that, that view. Because mm-hmm. it, the inner images that we cultivate directly impact the ways in which we interface with the world and the ways in which we can become enthused. That we that we can be, can be can become inspired by the 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 um, you can say the 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 spirit forces of of nature or the elemental forces of nature or all of all of the forces of nature whatever words you want to use to describe them.
0: Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the unlawful images, it's almost like a- addictions. Would you say mm-hmm. in that sense? It's like yeah, something well, is pulling us away. We're um, feeding that hungry ghost I think we talked about that before it's like're feeding this emptiness with twinkies yeah <laughs> twinkie images as opposed to some being in an experience and, and observing it or being in touch with it directly
1: mm-hmm absolutely absolutely and and so one of the things that that herbal medicine can help us do is to uh, by way of, of improving vitality and I think that Herbal medicine, irrespective of what system of medicine we're talking about, is concerned with optimizing and improving the capacity of the vital force in the organism.
2: Mm.
1: Strengthening the vital force, correcting imbalances in the vital force. Um, and in, 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 in correcting the, the, the functioning of the vital force and making it stronger, the flow of inner images and the capacity to be aware of inner images and to direct attention towards that source, uh, is is also thereby strengthened,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, there's another very short quote here mm-hmm. from a different author, Richard Grossinger, in his great book Planet Medicine. He says, "Ancient herbal and animal medicines come from psyche, but a psyche which is large and collective and includes the structure of botanical and animal forms in its meaning, even if these seem to lie outside the more limited mind psyche of the organism." And so, when we're when we're in, engaged with herbal medicine, even if it if it's the simple task of of admiring a plant let it, let alone ingesting ingesting a medicine that's prescribed for an individual constitution we we have that that vehicle or that portal through which we can tap into this 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 large and collective psyche mm. uh, you know jung would call it the collective unconscious but that is that is the source from which we emerge from which the form of of our physical body emerges from which our own individual psyches emerge and also the, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the source from which the, the, the plant medicines emerge too.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's the primordial uh, soup where yeah, everything comes from, it's like all based on the same design, like, mm-hmm. like the doctrine of signatures. This is reminding yeah. me of that.
1: Yeah. And you know, when, when we, when, when we talk about the doctrine of signatures, you know, one of the things that I like to, to um, bring to mind is this phrase, by uh, I can't remember her name, but she was the founder of of the Shaker the Shaker movement, um, which I don't know so much about. But she said
0: <laughs> not pronouncing.
1: <laughs> but she said uh, every every force hmm. evolves a form, mm. and so when when we when we think about the implications of that, um, mm. one of the things that it implies is that when nature develops a form that works. It will use that form not only once, but many, 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 many times. Mm-hmm. In that sense, there's a fundamental conservativeness in in the evolutionary powers of, of nature, because when it finds something that works, it will mm-hmm. use it over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so we can think that you know the same the same force in, in a tree that allows the sap to flow up to, 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 the, to the to the to the leaves on the on the top. Um, is, is the same force that allows the blood to, to flow through our veins. Mm-hmm.
0: And so our brains, or, well, our, our neurons look like our veins, look like tree branches, tree roots, It's the same idea. So this yeah. is what we mean by the doctrine of signatures. <laughs> Scaffolding information.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, hmm. the this, this simple definition of the doctrine of signatures is that the shape of a plant, the color of a plant, the conditions that the plant grows in, the time of year that it, that it thrives in. Um, all of these things are uh, give, give clues or suggestions as to its uh, potential medicinal uses. Mm-hmm. And we could all, we, I mean, we can call it the language of plants. So Doctrine mm-hmm. of Sikers or the Language of Plants.
0: It's a book by Julia Graves, which I'm halfway through. <laughs> it's an excellent book. Yeah, it's very good. And this is, the, yeah, we see this a lot in like the, even the color yellow, corresponding to uh liver uses in a plant because bile is yellow so there's like these different signatures that herbalists will use to approximate a use for a plant um then what do you when you say psyche can you explain that
1: psyche uh well that's a big that's a big that's a big question
0: we got some time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well just like just to reference us so like when we say um the images that emerge from the psyche? Is this what we're talking about, this this collective unconscious, this collective soup that matter emerges from? That form?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the literal definition of psyche is soul. And, you know, I like to point out some uh, to people, especially, you know, I, I, I was, I've taught psychoanalysis in undergraduate courses for a number of years, and one of the things that I point out, especially if there's psychology students in the room, I'll say, you know, that psychology means the study of the soul. Like psyche, logos, logos, I mean, logos means a lot of things, but one of the things that it means is the study of. Mm. So when we're engaging in psychology, we're engaging in the study of the soul.
0: So um, Not the cerebral cortex. Oh, exactly.
1: exactly. (laughs) I mean, psychology, okay, we won't get into the discussion about... Mm
0: -hmm. How do they take that? Are they like, oh, right, soul study, throw me me in. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's just, it's... It doesn't mean anything because the the, the the foundation the foundation isn't properly laid in the university context, mm. uh, and the study of psychology has become so perverted that um, you know mm. say so, and it doesn't doesn't the word doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, so there's lots of ways to, to kind of approach the definition or to establish a definition. Mm. Uh, you know, in in a lot of traditions, there's a distinction made between the body, the soul, and the spirit. The body is obviously on on one level the, the material the material organization. Um, the soul is that which animates the body or gives gives life to the body, and the spirit is the um, you know you could say is the the capacity for div- divine inspiration or uh, it's the eternal self-aware aspect of the individual constitution. Mm. Uh, and so when it comes to soul, there's the individual personal soul, but then there's the, the, the collective soul and and the ancient Greek conception of this was, was termed the anima mundi, the world soul. Mm. Um, and so when when we're using the word soul, you know, it's, it's, there's no, like, uh, like we were discussing, there's not really a, a, an ability or not, not, it's not useful to try and separate the, the, these different levels because they're so inter- interconnected and interrelated that um, to try and parse them apart is, is, is a, is a fallacy. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but you could say that, that the soul, the soul eats or the soul lives on, images,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that the substance of the soul is the image uh, in, in, a, in a fundamental sense, and that that, um, that that nutrition or lack of nutrition then in large part determines the psychological well-being of the individual person.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you're with the quote with Dennis uh, Classic, uh, who wrote Esoteric Physiology, which I mm-hmm. read in the sauna and the book fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good book. Um, aside from all the arrhythmy references, which I couldn't <laughs> get to. <laughs> but, um, well, he talks about allowing the imaginations. So how would one tell the difference between a wholesome image that feeds the soul and these unlawful images?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, the difference... The difference is that an unlawful image is is, is one that develops, you could say, um, a, a repetition that that that's tied to the compulsion to repeat, mm-hmm. and that is tied to addictive addictive behaviors and capacities, and short circuits the capacity for for human freedom.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it it doesn't allow and human freedom. can come through being open to the the images that that come through the the natural world, rather than programmed images that are designed to elicit specific outcomes Mm -hmm. and specific sorts of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And, And most of these behaviors are oriented around profit, Right, you want to make someone addicted to a certain kind of image so that they keep coming back for for, for a fix.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> auto, like this sustaining system.
1: Exactly. Whereas a, a, a lawful image, we could say, is one that, um, as as Klocek says, opens up the plane of the imagination, the sacred door of the realm of spirit, and that 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 means that there's a reciprocal relationship between the human being and the natural world so the human being it's almost like a breathing a breathing process the images come in from from nature they they are digested in in the in the human being through the human soul and then those images are through through right right human action reflected back into the natural world and our task then becomes this continual interface with nature, mm. listening and understanding the rhythms of the natural world, becoming attuned to those rhythms, and thereby helping nature help us
2: mm.
1: and again, this this notion of separation becomes where do you draw the line it doesn 't exist
2: mm.
1: the line mm. only exists when we fall into this trap of, of, of becoming victims of the unlawful preprogrammed images that are are founded on this assumption that um, that there is a separation, that there is a fundamental schism.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, these images, so like uh, one of the examples is something like pornography or like social media posts, like advertising, sort of like the Twinkies of images.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
0: something that's in in their own construction that is partially feeds us, that addicts us, like a Twinkies sweet, mm-hmm. that's is. So mm-hmm. there's something that's like been designed it has this um this aspect to it that, that's nourishing in a sense, but then creates this vicious, this addictive cycle. So yeah, like is is there some aspect of the unlawful images that's positive or is the whole thing just completely cuts us off?
1: Um, well I, I think we'd have to we'd have to take it case by case and, and you know, but I think that generally pre-programmed images um, you know they might ha- they might have their they might have a a, cer- a certain place in yeah. society you know like a cer- a certain kind of images a certain kind of image can, can bring enjoyment can bring a certain kind of satisfaction but doesn't necessarily have to be one that 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 is addictive mm-hmm. right and this goes back to what kochhex says about where we place our attention there things begin to develop so there's there's a way there's also the quality of attention that comes uh in, 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 in determining what the, the final outcome with our relationship mm-hmm. with a given regime of, of images is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and that quality of attention is, is what uh, gives power to an image, okay. especially if it's a pre-programmed image mm-hmm. because that, that it, it's, its entire existence rests upon the attention that is being invested in it. That is the life of that mm-hmm. image.
0: Mm-hmm. This is the, like the almost like the mindless scrolling, or like you're you're not really yeah. engaging or interacting with the thing. Yeah, it might create yeah. a positive emotion because yeah. it so, represents something real, but yeah. you're not in the real.
1: Yeah, and and so the uh, the real is a, is a good a good word to describe it. We can also say that the 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 images that are coming from the natural world are universal images. Mm-hmm. And so they're not designed for specific outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pre-programmed images are always designed with a specific
0: outcome in mind. Mm-hmm. That makes uh, sense, actually. And, and,
1: yeah. and, and the mental state, the mental state that's associated with those pre-programmed images is a mental state that the designer of those images, either consciously or unconsciously, is trying to perpetuate and feed.
2: Mm-hmm. It's trying
1: to direct attention towards the, the, the proliferation of, you could say, that virus Mm -hmm. That's contained in the image.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like you're getting the dopamine hits Mm -hmm. without, but dopamine is supposed to be um, those dopamine pathways are laid down to give us more holistic rewards to activate other pathways. If you're just getting empty dopamine hits, like you said, becomes this repetitive cycle. So Mm -hmm. things designed to hit dopamine are like cocaine, cocaine images then. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So let, let's 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 go to another quote. It's the the quote that I mentioned in in the comments by Theodore Apt, who's a very interesting Jungian uh, psychologist. Um, I think he's based in Switzerland. I might be wrong, but he he's uh, devoted a lot of his work to um, symbolic alchemy and translating uh, specifically uh, manuscripts from the Arabic alchemical tradition. And so. I'll I'll read this quote, and and, and I think it will help to feed the discussion. So he says, the obsession of modern times with extroverted fulfillment of desires has led to a growing acceptance of simply giving in and living out the unacceptable other. Mm. The growing divorce rate is one of the symptoms of that. I think he's a little bit too simplistic here. I think people get divorced for a lot of different reasons, but let's go with him. (laughs) Uh, The growing divorce rate is one one of the symptoms of that as often it is the result of one of the partners being, being carried away by an overwhelming love that makes him or her forget all about children, shared memories, relationships, etc. The same absence of a vessel of understanding can nowadays also be witnessed in countless internet sites where modern individuals find their fascinating and threatening other,
2: mm.
1: or in, in other words, their stupidly strange and therefore often unacceptable fantasies reproduced by others. This gives them the feeling of being in good company, of being part of a community again. Then one can dare to out oneself and just live out any compulsion or obsession caused by the collective repressed fantasy Mm life. Just as a carnal drive that is not understood in in its symbolic meaning seeks eternal repetition, one has to find ways to fulfill such enigmatic carnal desires through continuous repetition, like the man who tried to catch the wind. On the internet, not a few are searching for the perfect picture and are often addicted to the search instead of looking inside to the inner net where one can find the unique individual other, the soul. When that fascinating and threatening other is contained in the vessel of the personality, it leads to the realization of what our soul is really longing for, namely union with the eternal self.
2: Mm.
1: And so this answers a lot of the questions that I think we've been
2: Mm. trying
1: to answer already. the, the 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 longing of the soul is union with the eternal self or the longing of the individual soul is to find its place in the world soul in, in the anima mundi to find itself to see itself reflected back
2: mm-hmm.
1: because when it is reflected back then then the, the ground of meaning is there in that reflection
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, whereas this 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 perpetual search and this compulsion and obsession that that Aptus is, is uh, discussing as stemming from the collective repressed fantasy life is by definition a, an inherent lack of meaningfulness,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is why it's compulsive behavior, which mm-hmm. is why the repetition becomes more and more and more and more vicious,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is why the, 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 there's this search for the fascinating and threatening other. And, and, and the, the things that are being sought out are, as he says, stupidly strange and therefore unacceptable fantasies because there is no ground of meaning.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When he says fascinating, threatening other, how might that show up? Like what would that show up like in reality would it be like a shadow element or is it?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, well absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's a shadow element. And um, you know, it's, it's, um, so, like he says, Jesus, a carnal drive that is not understood in its symbolic meaning seeks eternal repetition. Want us to find ways to fulfill such enigmatic carnal desires through continuous repetition, like man have tried to catch the wind. And so, one of the things that um, unlawful images stop us from doing is understanding the symbolic meaning behind the images that we are exposed to. Mm and when that symbolic meaning is is not there then the vessel of 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 containment the vessel of the understanding isn't there and the image then becomes that which determines uh human behavior mm. without without a, a reflexive capacity on the part of the individual thinking is this behavior something that that i am willing mm. is it is it willful activity that 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 supports my life that supports my well-being
2: mm-hmm.
1: that, that promotes uh, the integrity of, of myself
2: mm.
1: or is it something that is in control of me and this is you know this is a, a question that that applies not only to the realm of images but uh, technology you know and there's there's plenty of technologies that work but few people asking well okay the technology works but is it good
2: mm. mm-hmm.
1: And you know we live we live in a time now where the question of the good is is rarely entertained. People people don't even I mean people think that that it, there is no there is no such thing as universal good.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh what's
1: good what's good for you is is not what's good for me. Well in some respects in some respects yes. I mean I'm not going to give everyone who comes in with uh, a respiratory condition the same herbs to mm-hmm. treat that condition. So yes, in, in, on that level, uh, what's good for one person is not what's good for another person. But when it comes to larger social collective problems, I think we have to to be firm and say that there is such a thing as, as a, a objective good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and pl- 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 the ancients understood this. And in mm-hmm. Plato's philosophy, he says, the good is is the true is the beautiful
2: mm.
1: and those three things are the same
0: mm. and how do we so it goes deep mm. to to truth and beauty how much deeper does that go like does that go to our instincts impulses like our like our sort of tribal roots or like what technologies layered on top of that could still be in alignment with the good <laughs> what, fix what, us what, <laughs> fix what, us, Victor
1: <laughs> so you're asking what's what sort of technological transformation we need to see
0: well what what do we you know so when we think of truth and beauty you can i mean there can be different opinions about what's beautiful when you think of it a, 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 on a superficial level when it becomes more about aesthetics, so when we think of truth and beauty like okay, okay. I, deep, I, I
1: see, yeah. I see. Well, okay. Well, here you know we can go. We can go to Hegel, yeah. and Hegel talks about aesthetic sublimation, mm. which I think is a beautiful phrase. And he he said that aesthetic sublimation is the experience where one uh, surrenders oneself to a work of art. So the small the small s self, the limited personality, is cast aside, and the idea that inheres in the work of art, then enters enters into the the, the individual. And that is equivalent to a kind of image entering the person, right? The image of the work of art, the image that the work of art is trying to to cultivate, Mm -hmm. the soul image that that the work is uh, is working in in line with the individual to build. And so that experience of aesthetic sublimation of – you could almost say sacrificing the limited personality so that a larger a larger personality or idea of the work of art comes through and thereby transforms a, and, and helps to eradicate the shortcomings of the individual limited self.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That experience is to be contrasted with the experience of demanding something for a work of art, right. which is the primary experience that people have today. It, it, you know, uh, when, when you're looking for, when many people are looking for, for something, they're looking to satisfy a preformed desire that they already have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Yeah. I want something that sounds like this. I want to, I want a, a piece of music that's going to make me feel like this. Right. right? So the working within a narrowly confined set of familiar responses and familiar sensations rather than bracketing uh, and, and being able to let go of what is comfortable and familiar, mm-hmm. right? Aesthetic sublimation is not always necessarily a, a pleasant experience because you're being asked to let go of that which you already know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you're, you're relating to it exactly as it is. You're not demanding a flower be more beautiful or different. Well, or, or, well,
1: there. well yeah. And so, uh, you know, and in, in Adorno then expanding on this notion, he says, it's not, the, it's not a question of when you're listening to a Beethoven symphony of what the symphony gives to you. It's a question of what you give to the symphony. Mm-hmm. That is to say, when you're listening to a piece of music that has this capacity for aesthetic sublimation, then you are, are being demanded to, to, there's a demand placed upon you to learn to listen in the, in the ways that the piece demands.
2: Mm-hmm. Or
1: to learn to look in the ways that that the, the painting or the work of art demands
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you know we can think of other examples like uh, the first one that came to mind is is the paintings of Ad Reinhardt mm-hmm. who um i and he, he 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 was he was someone who really did not like this idea of of reproducibility and you know people photographing paintings so he made paintings that had the effect that you that, that you couldn't actually realistically photograph them and, and expect to experience what he was trying to convey and so he would he would use pure pigments from Ooh. from paints and he would paint layer after layer after layer of, of pigment and he would create these kind of geometrical patterns underneath the paint and so what you would have to do to see these patterns was would be to stare at the image for 15-20 minutes and your eyes would slowly become adjusted and then after that period of adjustment, the image underneath the, the, the thick layer of pigment would come through and it was impossible to reproduce. But that is by definition a kind of aesthetic sublimation. You're giving yourself over
2: mm-hmm.
1: through the, the, the capacity of attention and awareness to the image.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and the image then is, is presenting a, 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 a kind of soul quality to you and it's, it's feeding the attention that you're giving to it.
0: Mm-hmm. As opposed to sort of showing up, I like this, I don't like this, I don't get it. Having preformed notions, see, not quite seeing it, showing up with yourself in the way, your ego in the way, I guess. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, um, yeah, I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about too is dreams, because obviously yeah. dreams, dreams are also a class of images. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's lots to say about dreams
0: yeah uh, so what, what I, are like what would Jung say dreams are or who's well, your favorite dream well okay. <laughs> we, can,
1: we, can, we can talk about the, the major differences between Freud and Jung on dreams which is yeah. a very
0: interesting
1: difference but first I wanted to read uh, a very short quote uh, from Robert Kelly he's a great American poet um, mm-hmm. and I've been I've been sitting with this quote. And I, I don't know if I totally agree with it or, or what I think about it, but I, it's beautiful. And it's from a, a book called A Book of Dreams, uh, appropriately enough. And so he says, when I was a little boy, I learned that everything is better after sleep. Everything is better in the morning. I have never truly decided whether it is the sleeping or the waking that heals, but healing certainly there is. Between the last flutter of despondent weariness and the first wink of daylight, of course, I suppose now it is the dream that heals. But I suspect that the dream we do not remember is the dream that heals us. Instead, it remembers us, and we awake healed.
2: Mm.
1: And so, this this notion of of you know, this is so. Is the dream that we don't remember is that, a, is that still an image? Mm um mm-hmm. the dream the dream that we don't he suspects that the dream that we don't remember is the dream that heals us the, the, sorry the dream that we don't remember is the dream that heals us uh and he says that it it remembers us mm. it it, reas- it reassembles it puts us together mm. after you know after the 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 you, you can think of of a day as as a kind of microcosm of a whole human life mm. and so at the end of the day it's a kind of miniature death
0: a mm-hmm.
1: dream we don't remember is that activity that that puts us back together again and awakens us in in the, the springtime of of, of morning mm.
0: it's actually like there's research on um people with ptsd the more rem sleep they get afterwards the less they have the symptoms mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily always remember all the well you don't remember all your cycles of rem sleep you might wake up with a yeah we don't know why we remember certain things and not yeah. Others. There you go, it's validated <laughs> It exists It's interesting. What part did, were you not sure about With what his quote said
1: Well, I, I mean, I think that So he says that uh, I'll just read this last line again But I suspect that the dream we do not remember Is the dream that heals us Instead it remembers us and we wake healed So I think that I don't know, I think that the dream that we don't remember Is one of the dreams that heals us Right but the dreams that we remember can also heal us. Right, it's a different plane of imagination, mm-hmm. right? And so the dream that we don't remember isn't necessarily a dream without an image, right? It is, a, or it isn't necessarily a state in which um, there is there is uh, no imagery that's that's going on it's it's that the the imagery hasn't made its way into the capacity it hasn't
2: hasn't,
1: mm-hmm. hasn't been rooted in this capacity of of recollection mm-hmm. for whatever reason either it's dealing with contents that are too repressed to actually make their way up to that level mm-hmm. or you know mm-hmm. what whatever the case may be
0: well they're not visual it's not visual images yeah yeah this is yeah it's interesting but and then when you look at psychoanalysis it's really A lot of it about the dreams you remember and you have to remember them well
1: yeah Yeah. (laughs) yes so we can we can talk about that Um, yeah
0: this is cool though
1: uh so let me just see here
0: because i want to go back to robert kelly and talk about reishi oh well well (laughs) we can talk about it now
1: yeah i I did i i I actually yeah i thought reishi would be a good a good herb to talk about Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you want to say about
0: about its connection with dreams so herbalist Matthew Wood in just one lecture I heard and I haven't heard him speak more deeply about it maybe it was Sean Donahue who was talking about um, how it metabolizes metabolizes trauma metabolizes what's stuck in the tissues Mm -hmm. brings it to the shen which is in Chinese medicine the spirit I guess the the translation and so there's some sort of like metabolization in the heart center and I think if, when I communicate with patients, what I see is that if they're having a lot of dreams, mm-hmm. negative dreams, like feeling stuck in these nightmares, waking up, feeling like they spent their entire night dealing with stuff, mm-hmm. reishi kind of clears that up. They sleep deeply and don't remember their dreams. And if they're not dreaming, um, but they're waking up frequently, reishi can help them start dreaming again. So it uh, sort of like pushes them.
1: Yeah. And and do you find that those people that take reishi and start dreaming have dreams that are very emotionally charged?
0: It, it can depend. It uh-huh. depends. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes, I mean, not everybody likes to dream, I've found. So sometimes people will say, like, I don't like how much dreaming I'm having. But I, my sense is to ride it out because they'll they'll digest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and one of the things that, that reishi does, I find that reishi can bring up in dreams a lot of emotional material that needs to be Taken care of, mm-hmm. that needs to be addressed, and um, you, you can say that that in doing that, it then furthers one's ability to trust in one's own innate capacities, mm-hmm. uh, and and to deal with difficult situations and to resolve emotional blockages.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: the emotional blockages can only be dissolved if they're confronted, and Reishi is is a, a great not uh, it's not technically a herb, but a great mushroom uh, to to uh, to help that that process along. Mm. Yeah, and, and interestingly enough, I mean, it also helps. It 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 helps um, in in a lot of uh, you know cases of, of of disturbed Shen that are underlying asthmatic conditions. Mm. And reishi, reishi can help with this this breathing that we were talking about before, the breathing that allows us to interface with with the external world
2: mm.
1: uh, i think reishi is at least in my experience i mean my, my own reishi dreams have been dreams where um I, I took my first experience with taking reishi was several years ago um when i was getting this awful chest tightness and congestion and i didn't know what was behind it and i opened up a book randomly one day after going to see a practitioner whose treatment was unsuccessful. And the book said reishi has been used historically for many types of chest tightness and congestion. So I got some reishi, I started taking it, and immediately upon the first dose, within minutes, the tightness and congestion was gone.
2: Mm.
1: And then I started to have dreams where I was in these old-growth forests and I would just see these huge glowing reishi mushrooms on the trees. And Mm. and it it was very much the type of dream experience where I felt like, there was this breathing process that was happening between my individual soul and the larger soul of nature. And this interface and flow of images was being facilitated by way of, of taking Reishi. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's a good herd to talk about in, in this connection, because it's, it's at least in my experience and in the experience of, of people that I've talked to about taking Reishi, it, it, it fits with this, with this, uh, with this healing capacity mm-hmm. that's, that's damaged in, 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 I'd say pretty much everyone living in, in, uh, the technopathocratic Western Western culture.
0: Right. Well, uh, yeah, especially if we're considering like blockages. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I mean, herbs, I would love if they just blasted through blockages, but there has to be sort of like a give and take in this allowing them.
1: Well, and, and yeah, I mean, the the blasting through can't happen because then the healing process is in, all of all of the, the minute changes that take place. It's not just in the final the right. final state. And there is no final state. Right. Right. It's yeah, a so, gra- mm. it's about gradually trying to, to reach an equilibrium, but perfect health never exists.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I would say too like even in the earlier part of the conversation about um reconnecting with the imagination or this idea of like unifying the soul. Like does that ever happen in our lifetime? Are we just getting a little bit closer, or are we having moments of unification, but then we go back and we're separate again. And we're on Instagram looking at bikini bodies. Yeah, or whatever. it's it's never I, <laughs>
1: I, it's never something that 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 entirely happens unless you're some kind of you know great adept. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it's like I, the, my, I have a deep interest in Tibetan Buddhism, and I read these these texts, like the, these Zoggen texts, and there's this great passage that that um, I'll try and recite it. Profound and tranquil, free from complexity, uncompounded luminous clarity beyond the mind of conceptual ideas. This is the depth of the mind of the victorious ones. In this, there is not a thing that needs to be added nor anything that needs to be taken away. It is merely the immaculate looking naturally upon itself.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: that's a statement on the primordial purity of mind. So mind is primarily pure, but it sure doesn't seem that way.
0: No. <laughs> and it's, you know, I don't know. So in, in certain meditation experiences, herbal experiences, accessing that is very it's very scary we don't really i mean yeah it's tough like you have to really want that and there's almost something psychopathic <laughs> this is like a whole other side conversation i was psychopathic about wanting to completely dissolve the ego and just go back to the primordial mind and not have anything not have you there not have the things you care about the things you love there
1: yeah so and this is you know this is um, so there's different kinds of, of unitive experiences, right? So we can talk about unitive experiences that basically have as their precondition the complete dissolution of the self. Mm-hmm. But this breathing process that we're talking about isn't about the dissolution of the self. It's about finding the the place that the self has in in nature, in the cosmos, mm-hmm. and, and helping helping the self develop through yeah through its 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 through recognition of its of its of its place in the natural world. Mm-hmm. So it's not about self-dissolution so much as, as anchoring or rooting the self in, mm-hmm. in the greater, uh, you could say, mind-soul of, of, of the cosmos.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, the, I like the, the breathing image because it does feel like it's a, a dynamic process, so like opening, but mm-hmm. still having integrity of self. And, and of, of
1: course, of breathing, breathing is, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Greek, the Greek notion of aesthesis. Esthesis, which is the root of our word aesthetic, uh, means of breathing. And so what the Greeks meant by aesthesis was an exchange of soul essence. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have this experience when, um, you know, Stephen Gugner gives the example of a puppy you know off in the distance and your your eyes match up with the eyes of the puppy Mm -hmm. and the puppy is running towards you and finally it gets there and there's this excitement and this kind of flux of becoming Mm -hmm. that that happens when the puppy is in your arms and what's happening there is that there's an exchange of soul essence between you and the creature that you're holding Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's 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 the breathing Mm
2: -hmm. that's a
1: breathing that's taking place and that and this is you know james hillman the, the the great Jungian psychologist this is where Buner is getting this talk of his thesis from, and he says that what we need to do is to reclaim the response of the heart to what is presented to the senses. happens mm. primarily from the heart. It's not, so, it's not a, a, a mental cognitive, I hate that word cognitive, but it's not a mental process. You know, cognitive, I, I think, is su- such a terrible word. I mean, it, 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 it tries to cover so many things, and as a result, doesn't adequately cover any of them. So cognitive is supposed to, to mean intellect. It's supposed to mean imagination. It's supposed to mean perception. It's supposed to mean all these things.
2: Mm.
1: Cog, cog, co- and cog is... is cog, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's Western cognitive, society. Cog in a machine.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, it's the... It's the um i don't know the library the elite the organ the the structure the uh the top of the pyramid cognitive it's right? like what what rules the rest
2: mm-hmm.
0: of the primordial things in the brain but i yeah i've heard booners um talk about the puppy word the puppy's like it's you like there's just there's nothing else it's just you and the puppy that direct relationship 100 <laughs> percent of your energy um Going towards that that one connection, yes. Is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's 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 different kinds of the, these these united experiences, mm-hmm. and different ways of describing it. Um, I mean, yeah, like George George Bataille, the French philosopher, uh, he talked about pure imminence, mm-hmm. which is is different. But you know, he said that the experience of pure immanence is like water in water.
2: Mm-hmm
1: and it's like what what's that that's an image like what does it mean water in water well mm. bring 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 the image to life mm. uh, but mm. but he he said that the situation the situation is given when one animal is eating another animal and he says in that instance there's no separation between the animal that is eating and the animal mm. that is being eaten
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's a pure flux of becoming so it's it's you know there's a flux of becoming also in the puppy example but it's Quite a, quite a different situation. Not
0: like the, well, matter is not actually <laughs> connecting, which is, yeah, this is kind of morbid, I'm going to say it anyways, but yeah, I've seen animals eat other animals and there's a surrender. And even if you watch Animal Planet or whatever, there's a surrender that happens at a certain point. Mm-hmm. The animal being eaten is just waiting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: just sort of like, all right, there yeah.
1: we go. And you can you, can, you can, you say, you can say as, as awful, as awful as it is to a certain level of our consciousness. The level, sorry, the moment at which the surrender happens is the moment when the breathing takes place in that encounter.
0: Mm. And, I mean, would you say that this overlaps with flow state? Is this when when people talk about this or when they're doing MRI scans? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no self-consciousness in those moments, right? Like you're not, there's no sort of... Um, observer or like narrative happening you're just in the in the well it's in the moment
1: mm-hmm. i i'm not sure i'll have to think about you know because i think that there are different different types mm-hmm. of these these unitive experiences right mm-hmm. we were talking about yeah like so the the animal eating another animal and the puppy running towards you like there's something fundamentally the same about mm-hmm. those experiences but then at the same time like Phenomenologically, they're they're very different,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know? mm-hmm. And so there's emotional contents that are bound up with right. these experiences that are very drastically different. Right. And so when it comes to, you know, an experience of an individual doing something by him or herself, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, entering into a flow state, yeah, that's again a different, a, a mm-hmm. distinct phenomenology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So yeah, I don't I don't have all the answers when it comes mm-hmm. to this. It's an interesting mm-hmm. area to
0: think. Yeah. Part of it is that like dissolving, water being dissolved in water where there's no sort of just, yeah. I don't know, in this fine balance of
1: yeah, um, existence. And, yeah. And, 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 and I mean, Bataille has, has interesting things to say. Basically, he thinks that any economic, social, political system that is not founded in pure imminence is doomed to fail because it's, it's a system that is oriented around the idea of accumulation rather than expenditure. And so his term for this was general economy, where it's an economy that that is based fundamentally in in the squandering of resources
0: Mm. that is
1: antagonistic towards accumulation.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a um, large scale socioeconomic metabolic syndrome, right? Like you're just pushing a pathway or you're pushing physiology homeostasis in one direction. Mm-hmm. too much too long and there's not enough of a chance for it to come back mm-hmm. no longer in balance yeah. and uh and then things just stop we break out of our um the uh the sensitivity the capacity of the system to bounce back or to like recalibrate itself mm-hmm. yeah it's something we do there's a lot of hormonal resistance in every single cell yeah. <laughs> because of this yeah yeah, and then the, the, then we start getting into vicious cycles where the uh, pathology perpetuates itself. Mm-hmm. Greed or, I don't know. Yeah. Resistance or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. and this
1: ha- this happens on, on collective as well as individual levels. And, you know, we see it all the time. I mean, like, there's so many examples of people that have been through traumatic experiences, uh, traumatic childhoods, tra- traumatic childhoods, who grow up basically to become images of what once scared them to death.
2: Yes.
1: You know, and then the, the underlying logic behind that is, well, it was good enough for me. So it's good enough for everyone else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the, the superimposed logic of like, if you ask them, that would be maybe the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 So why, should, why would that be adopted? Like what would, um, what would stand in the way of that person breaking the cycle or, we're not Not just slipping into that to that pattern again,
1: well, <clears throat> one I mean psychoanalysis would say working with dreams would be one way <laughs> one way of, of not slipping into the cycle, becoming aware of, of, of what unconscious messages are trying to come through
2: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, and, and so we can talk we can talk more about different frameworks
0: yeah, uh, let's talk about the difference between Jung and Freud when it comes to dream. Theory, and then maybe we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so... The, it's often said that, you know, Jung wouldn't exist without Freud and whatever and whatever, but I think that the opposite is true. I mean, well, Freud would have existed without Jung, but um, a lot of Freud's innovations actually came by way of Jung. I mean, one example, the Oedipus complex. So the notion of the complex was developed by Jung. Mm-hmm. And you can also look at, at Freud's later interest in mythology um, and theology and all of these things. And that came after his association with Jung.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so are, are you there? The image looks frozen.
0: I'm there. Yeah. Okay. There
1: you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the image is frozen <laughs> for a while.
0: Oh, I'm getting uh, a connection okay. unstable message. No, I'm good. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so, okay, let's see here. Um, I want to start. Just we can we can look at this quote by Freud. Uh, Freud says we call upon the dreamer likewise to turn his attention from the whole of the dream to its individual components, and to tell us one after the other what every one of these components calls to his mind, what associations present themselves to him if he tackles them individually. So that's basically Freud is is describing here the method of free association. Mm -hmm. And for Freud, free association was the key to understanding the meaning of the dream. Um, And so the reason that free association is the key to understanding the dream is because for Freud, there's two levels of the dream. There is the manifest content and the latent content. Mm -hmm. And so the manifest content is is the dream image, you could say. Um, So I have a dream where... um, you know, I go out to the store and I buy a bottle of coconut oil and I come home and I fry some plantains. Okay, that's that's the manifest level of the dream. Then the latent level for Freud would be what is hidden underneath that image.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What do they symbolize? What yeah. does it mean? Yeah, and so you could say, well, why is there this weird code in the dream that has to be unlocked? And so for Freud, the purpose of the dream, he said purpose of the dream is to protect sleep Mm. what does that mean basically when we enter into a sleep state what happens is the, the the threshold between the conscious mind and the unconscious the veil becomes very thin and so contents from the unconscious are filtered through the pre-conscious into consciousness And so the dream is basically that mechanism whereby the contents of the unconscious can come through without being overly traumatic. Mm -hmm. You could say masks or coats the contents of the unconscious so they don't wake the person up. Mm -hmm. We've all had that experience of having, you could say, a traumatic dream or a disturbing dream or whatever it is, and it startles us awake. And in that case, the dream has failed by Freud's definition because it has not protected sleep.
0: Okay, well then we shut off the dream and we don't do the processing or have the experience we need to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so for for Freud, that is that's the essence of of the interpretation of dreams. Um, mm-hmm. You know, basically taking taking the dream apart and then free associating to every image, mm-hmm. and through the act of free association, um, eventually, gradually, the analyst picks up on the meaning that the unconscious is trying to express through that coded image. Mm. Um, so Jung completely disagreed with this. Uh, Jung, Jung thought that that free association was useless. Um, and, and he said that I can free associate to anything. I can free associate to you. I can free associate to the tree that I'm looking at outside. I can free associate to these books on my desk. All of it, all of it, all it's going going to tell me is is about my own individual complexes. Mm. It's not going to tell me about the meaning of the dream.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: And so for, for Jung, Jung says dreams are spontaneous products of the unconscious soul. They are pure nature and therefore an unadulterated natural truth. They represent a communication or message of the unconscious of the all one soul of humankind. So this is a view of, The dream and of the dream image that is much more in line with the notion of image that we were discussing before. Mm -hmm. So for Freud, the dream image, you could say, is is a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And the puzzle can only be solved through um, the rational work of of the analyst. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right? And an interpretive, an interpretive framework. The image does not have uh, inherently its own truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The truth. comes by way of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Jung, the dream has to have its own truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it speaks to what he says the ultimate of humankind. We could call that again the anima mundi, the, right. the, the world soul.
0: Like these these symbols have their own inherent meaning. We're given these symbols, we inherit them.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: and, and we're so not we're not creating them as a way to protect ourselves necessarily, and then we have to sort of get underneath that layer and figure out what it act- what it actually means. Yeah, Jung it was like this image already has a meaning; you don't have to interpret it. It's it's uh, it,
1: it, so the dream is not interpreted for Jung, It's it it is you could say read. It's mm-hmm. like you you're reading a, a text. The meaning the meaning it shines through. The meaning shines through when one sits with the image. So, you know, one of the techniques of, of working with a dream is to, if there's a person in the dream, to, to, when you wake up in the morning, think to yourself, well, what is, who is that person in me? Right. What is that psychic presence in me? And even to, to try, when one is awake, to, to become that person. Hmm or to become that, that thing or to become whatever it is that one is trying to understand in the dream and to enter into that consciousness that, is, is, that shines through in, mm. in that person. That person is a psychic presence that is part of your own psyche.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so.
0: Yeah, I had a teacher who was a homeopath and oh, what's his name? I can't remember, but um his one of his uh he had a five step dream analysis, and what he would tell people to do they had very disturbing dreams, usually a shadow element chasing type uh, theme mm-hmm. would be to um, reenact the favorable outcome mentally before bed, so like working your your way through the dream and confronting the shadow element or killing it or doing what you
2: mm-hmm.
0: what you intuitively wanted to do. Kind preparing for sleep, to set uh, the psyche up to have. Yeah, yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah, and so I, I guess you know, one other thing I want to say is that there are different types and classes of dreams. So this framework that Jung is, is you know, I, I've thought about like is every is every dream. So you read this statement by Jung when says that the dream is the expression of the all one soul of humankind. It's like, well, is every dream like that? Seems like a pretty grand and magnificent thing, yeah. right? But I mean, even Jung would say that there is a difference between, you know, what what we might call an archetypal dream and a more subjective dream,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. could say that, that all dreams are an expression of the all-ones of humankind, but some of these dreams might be a manifestation of an anxiety state. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And this goes, you know, the, the the anthroposophical approach to interpreting dreams, I think, is in line with with this with this uh, parsing here. And, you know, to go back to Dennis Klocheck, he talks about how the most common experience of the dream, he calls it the organ dream. And he says, organ dreams are entirely subjective. They are images of anxiety experiences, which the soul encountered in the preceding days in which were not fully integrated emotionally.
0: Mm -hmm. Like All (laughs) those dreams I have about failing grade five math. (laughs) <laughs> like so many, back in school, and I didn't pass. Like yeah, <laughs> and I'm rushing to get to the exam, and a wizard is in my way or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, but it is true. It's just they're just you're you're feeling anxious in your day to day life, feeling rushed, overextended, and then you're just back in that state in dream.
1: Yeah, but you know, and but I think one of one of the the things that he that he. Points out when he's talking about this, is he, he says the anxiety state can be looked on as an emotional symptom of the organ wounds which we daily receive from an interaction with the sense world. So, um, you know, it's not this, it's not like it's not a, a, an entirely personological uh, picture here. So we're dealing we're dealing with with collective anxiety states as well, right? We're dealing with a a, a, a kind of wounding that that takes place from a mode of living that is not fundamentally in tune mm. with the cycles and rhythms of the natural world with, with the, the images of nature.
2: Mm.
1: And it all goes back to this initial discussion of the image. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when you're, when you're living, let's just say out of balance, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to paint the picture, <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, and then the dream states that you're, or the, the dreams that you're having are, are tending to be anxious and they're not really in that symbolic, um, collective unconscious kind of archetypal realm that Jung would be interested in. They're sort of just like failing grade five math, rushing to an exam when you've graduated 10 years ago, that kind of thing. Um, it's sort of <laughs> just a symptom of being in the anxious, overwhelmed state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and so you know, part of the task, part of the task of 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 psychotherapy, is is then becomes, you know, not only the healing of the individual. And this is this is where you know I think the union framework provides a lot more resources for this task than the Freudian one, which is more personological.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But part of the task is to heal the, the 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 pathology that exists out in the world. Right. As James Hillman would say over and over again, the anima mundi, the world's soul is sick. It's not only the individual that 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 is sick, but the, the sickness of the individual stemming primarily from this intrinsic social, ecological, political, technological pathology. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's a pathology that, that you feel. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a pathology that you feel something feels that it that it's out of tune.
2: Mm-hmm. Something
1: feels false something feels ugly something feels you know like it's like it's like it's lacking and this is one of the things that 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 the pre-programmed image um, stops us from feeling because the, pre-pro- the pre-programmed image tells us what we should be feeling mm-hmm. right? it tells us you should, you should be feeling this you should be thinking this you should be desiring this you should be striving after this
0: mm. And when because those images or when there's, there's a shortage of them, you're left with the ennui, the ugliness, the yeah. emptiness.
1: Yeah. And and the difference between an image that stems from um, from a, a plant, from sitting with a plant and, and trying, you know, to become open through observation to any messages or field of meaning that the plant might contain. The difference is that the messages and, and the field of meaning that that, that experience of sitting with the plant opens up, it's vast. It's mm-hmm. not narrowly confined. And you might you might receive a specific kind of instruction, but you know, it's not going to be a, a a kind of vicious directive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas, you know, so many of, of the, the types of media that that we're commonly bombarded with are, are vicious directives mm-hmm. to feel a certain thing, to experience a certain thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think medicine is a great example of this. Even natural medicine, Mm -hmm. and even in some of the ways I practice, where, you know, this is good for this, yeah. without having that direct experience with the plants. And so there's certain herbal mentorship programs of sitting with, having a dieta with a plant, like connecting with it before using it as a medicine. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is not that. A lot of it is... um, is prescribing something based on symptoms, based on patterns that are manifest, that are um without necessarily I don't know having a direct experience, let's say. I don't know what do you think about yeah. that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no the direct experience is, is without without the, the direct experience uh, and and using the the, the presentation of a person that's in front of you. hmm
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm
1: we fall into the the, the allopathic trap.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're treating a headache, uh, which you could treat by just hearing the word headache. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
1: And, you know, the, uh, I think uh, one of the, the, the implications in terms of, you know, uh, treating patients in, in the clinical setting for, for this discussion that we're having, uh, you know, Steiner was, was fond of saying that the, the most disastrous thing when it comes to the modern scientific view, is that it thinks that everything actively runs its course entirely within the confines of, of the skin of, of the being in question.
2: Mm.
1: And this, this is a, one of the major shortcomings of allopathic medicine that doesn't consider the intrinsic pathological nature of, of the world that we inhabit and how these external pathologies in fundamental ways uh, create pathologies that manifest in an individual person.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. and sometimes in, it's actually interesting because sometimes it's um the the sensitive person who seems more open to psychic energies or the the sociological like ugliness that you're that you're talking about that will get sick or just feel unwell um yeah mm-hmm. yeah develops mental health issues whatever it is um and the the one that's more sensitive, essentially, that's picking mm-hmm. up on it first.
2: Yeah, mm. absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yeah, about, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh well, I, and and you know, I, this is this is this this brings up for me this this question of of normality, you know, right. normalcy, which is one of the things that that the regime of of programmed images is is designed to create. Is this idea of what a what normal, what a normal person is supposed to be,
2: mm-hmm. what a normal
1: person is supposed to think, what a normal look person like. Is supposed to behave mm-hmm. like and look like, and desire and want and so on and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but normal, normal. I've never heard a good uh, what's 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 a. I've never heard a good definition of normal. I've never heard a good definition of of sane. You know, the
0: distribution, the distribution curve. <laughs> Somebody was. Some, I had an argument with a friend about this, where he's like, uh, "Normal people." It's like there's no normal. I think they tried to find the person who was normal, like in, in as many, um, as many variables as they could. They tried to find the person who was like, you know, the hair that was the most well, normal color. That,
1: that's that's the that's the person that you should be afraid of because they they are the person with the most repression.
0: Right. Well, yeah, if you're talking psychologically normal. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, my friend was talking about her calm. She knows someone who's very calm. I was like, I'll tell you right now, this person doesn't sound calm. I was dissociated. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yes. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. How colorful can, can you get then and <laughs> still fit into society? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know. We know some people. What about Steiner? Because, um, so you, we talked about Closick, but so we approximated Steiner, but we haven't dived right into Steiner.
1: Oh, I mean, we would need, we would need many. Another, this is for the next lecture. We, we could come up with a, a like a year, a 20 year long course teaching Steiner. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, well, what, what to say about Steiner? I mean, there's lots to say. Um, I mean, you could say that one of his fundamental insights is that the visible perceptible world is intimately and irrevocably enmeshed with an invisible or supersensible world. Mm. And that is another way of basically putting what what I've been trying to get at this whole conversation.
2: Mm. And so
1: I think that this fundamental insight concerning the nature of image stems uh, in, in part from Steiner and in part from Jung, I think that they they have similar ways of of, of thinking about um, this this issue.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and you know, for Steiner, the visible and the invisible form a whole. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, he was he was very much about um, when it comes to the healing healing arts. And I mean, Steiner was. Uh, he, by profession, he was a philosopher. You know, like he 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 like he translated or sorry, you know, he wrote like uh, the the addition to the complete works of Goethe when he was like twenty years old, like really young. And he, he, you know, he was primarily a philosopher, but he was involved in so many other things. And so he got into medicine later in life. He was always kind of involved with medicine, but he was very kind of tentative about actually putting out his medical insights before he could prove them to himself that they were valid mm-hmm. because he didn't actually have any formal training in medicine.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: it was the last kind of subject that he spoke on um, in terms of his public lectures, but something that preoccupied him for decades. Um, and he, he's, one of the things that he says is that the, 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 healer, uh, the healer needs to be able to cultivate an objective seeing of the natural world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: which is again understanding this flow of 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 images mm-hmm. understanding the images that that are inherent in, in the natural world also understanding the image that inheres in in the person in the pathology what is the image that that underlies the pathology of the individual person
2: mm-hmm.
1: because pathologies have their own have their own images yeah
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it doesn't always, you know, we think of diagnosis, but it's again a diagnosis is a label for certain phenomena without directly interacting with that phenomena, mm-hmm. observing it directly, objectively.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, especially when it's flow algorithms, flow charts, we start to disconnect. One of the things is kind of, so I don't know how I'm gonna articulate this, it's gonna come up properly, but when we talk about so the thing that disconnects us from the natural world, if we're all in one ecosystem, so if we're, if we're all this in this connected thing, then is that disconnecting force or disconnecting tendency that starts perpetuating the, the creation of these uh, predetermined images, is that not just nature?
1: <laughs> <laughs> is that not just nature? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, like how does you know what began, what started that process, or is it just a corruption of like one? What started,
1: that, what started the process? What started the, I mean, there's, so there's different ways of answering this question. Probably lots of different opinions. But you know, one of the things that that I think started it is this this shift uh, in in consciousness that we can we can locate around the time of of the Enlightenment, the European Enlightenment, and you know we have uh, figures like Descartes. Yeah. Who was told, uh, who was told by an angel, actually an angel told him this, okay. but he was a, a soldier fighting on the battlefield, the, an angel came down to Descartes and said, "The conquest of nature is that we achieve the measure and number." Mm-hmm. You know and, and, and so Descartes conceived of nature as basically um, inert space mm-hmm. upon which we need to impose a grid." You know, the Cartesian grid, upon uh, and, and so this grid is imposed upon nature so that we can divide it up and do with the material world as we wish. Mm-hmm. And that gesture is basically the gesture of cutting off that, that reciprocal flow of images.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's, it's imposing a, a false wheel structure on the natural world. And it's rooted in this, this, this economic model that, that Bataille says will always be doomed to failure. It's an economic model based on scarcity and, uh, and accumulation. Mm. And, you know, we can think, and, and this is like, it's, it, and it's, 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 a, it's a paranoia. It's a, it's a fear that I think fundamentally stems from this deep ontological fear of death. Mm. Right? And a better example for, for expressing that is, is Thomas Hobbes. Mm.
2: You know? right.
1: and for Thomas Hobbes, life in the state of nature is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Mm-hmm. And you read the Leviathan, he gives these hilarious depictions of these so-called primitive primitive men, who uh, their only concern 24-7 is making sure they stay alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hobbes goes so far as to say, well, you can't even trust your own wife and children because, you know, if if, a, if there's a food shortage, they may they may very well bash your head open and start eating your brains, mm-hmm. because they have nothing else to and It's like, have you ever heard of empathy?
0: Mm-hmm. Right and have you ever heard of altruism like wouldn't the wouldn't you be like kids and wife eat me we're starving <laughs> <laughs> you know like ever you know this has happened so well but it is interesting too because Descartes always gets blamed for this and he's
1: Awful. Well, he, he's easy yeah, he's, he's, he's to kind of bring up and, and explain a lot of things away by saying, well, it was, it's Descartes' fault, but...
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but he ripped apart animals cause, to prove that they didn't have feelings. He, he was
1: awful. He was. He was a. He was, yeah, he was a terrible person. I mean, I, I didn't know him personally, but they <laughs> said I
0: heard but, that story and I was sold. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. but I mean, you know, and, and he also like Descartes was was someone who discredited, who who actively discredited, tried to discredit the powers of imagination. He didn't understand the imagination at all, and he gives this completely stupid example to show the superiority of of reason over imagination, and and he says well, try and, and try and imagine a figure with a thousand sides. And he says, all you can conjure up with the imagination is this vague, big, indistinct blob. And it, you don't have any kind of precision, and you don't know if it actually has a thousand sides. It's just a vague, indistinct image. But with the power of reason, we can, we can map out exactly the, the mathematical formula that will give us this figure with a thousand sides. And so we have this precise... Oh. Uh, this precise figure that comes by way of re- by way of reason, mm-hmm. imagination fails us in this task, and so for Descartes, that's proof of of the superiority of reason over imagination.
0: And without of- imagination, you wouldn't get the figure with a thousand sides because you wouldn't have been able to imagine. It.
1: <laughs> well, ex- well, exactly. And and this, the the very idea that somehow reason and imagination are opposing forces mm-hmm. is, is just just wrong.
0: Mm-mm.
1: I mean, you you. Need
0: right because if you say draw create a thing with a thousand you can't hold a thousand sides in your brain also a a thousand sided figure is probably quite useless in the natural world to survive (laughs) but you would have to yeah draw it out or design it but that's still the imagination coming forth like you know, a book is created by reason or art is created by reason. It's not. It's, yeah. It begins with the imagination.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. This, this whole thought experiment that Descartes came up with is, is uh, yeah, it's starting from the imagination. I mean, he used the imagination to prove the superiority, of some alleged superiority, superiority of reason.
0: Well, like, so. I think, therefore I am. Well, what if you don't think? Then, you're, <laughs> then you not are. <laughs> like, I am, therefore I am. He so spent a lot of time getting that one. But I think, but the thing too, with I'm
2: Descartes,
0: that one <laughs> like, with someone like that. So again, so it's like, this is these ideas, but something about that idea that he was conveying or standing for had, had something attractive about it that we just took that and ran with it. We were like, all right. Kirk yeah. Well, and it, go. It, it
1: it provides, it, prov- it provides a, a false sense of power. Mm. And, you know, um, it provides a sense that that we are in control of our lives, mm-hmm. um, and that the the capacity for and so by reason you know Descartes really meant calculative reason, right. right? Reason as calculation. That for him, you know, he went so far as to say that philosophy needs to basically say, he says like. Uh, every philosopher before me is basically an idiot because they didn't base their philosophical system on arithmetic and geometry. And we have to use the logical framework that arithmetic and geometry to provide, that, that arithmetic, sorry, that arithmetic and geometry to provide to create a, a, a sound philosophical system. And so, you know, this is this is what Descartes what, what was after.
0: Yeah, so this is like rhythmicity of, yeah.
1: And, and they you know he he's everything everything in this philosophy is basically pointing to um fear of of chaos. Right? right? But chaos is not disorder, this is a purely modern association, mm. right? I mean in, in Hesiod chaos was the gate and void. Mm. And chaos was the wellspring from which the the, the natural world emerged. Mm. And you know, just as we can say that. The, the, the good is the beautiful is the true, so we can say that chaos is creativity, is the imagination. Mm-hmm. That, those three, that those three things are the same. And this association of chaos with disorder is a complete,
2: mm-hmm. complete
1: mistake. And the mistake results in people like Descartes, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: where the, the task becomes the imposition of a hallucinatory form of order. Mm-hmm. Onto, onto the natural world, and mm-hmm. it's it's hallucinated sanity, which is the most dangerous type of sanity that there is.
0: Mm.
1: Hallu- it's a hallucination.
0: And so, from there, these these images get created in order to, almost like, direct and control consciousness. Like, we're going to feed you this to develop an outcome, to get you to do this thing, and then whatever our our conscious aims are, mm-hmm. uh, we get. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and, and I think fundamentally, if we have to say, okay, well, why did Descartes come into, come into existence? The growth
0: you know, is wounding. I, you <laughs> why do people... Why do people... We,
1: we, we, we can come up with all sorts of explanations. And, you know, there might, be, there might be some kind of grand teleological picture that it was necessary for us to go through this stage in, in the evolution of, of, of human consciousness. And this is one step. I don't, I don't know. I don't have that, that answer. Mm-hmm. But I think that fundamentally, there is a fear of, of, a fear of death mm. that, that led to, or at least was a, a major impulse behind this type of thinking of imposing human superiority and human will and human desire uh, mm. cut off from this, this breathing process that we've been discussing, imposing this artificial construct of consciousness onto the world. Mm-hmm. Um, as a way of trying to become immortal, and we see it today with people like Elon Musk and Ray Kurzweil, and this 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 desire to become immortal through uploading our self or our brain or our whatever whatever however however they think they're going to do it, uploading themselves somehow to a mega computer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the same kind of uh, it's the same kind of thinking,
0: mm-hmm. just
1: in, in a different era.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting right because you don't know what you're defending against. Like we have an impulse to defend against death, but you don't really know how that you don't want it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And you also don't know that you want the way you're living. Like what does um immortality give to you? Does mm-hmm. it help you with the breathing process with accessing the uh the lawful images? <laughs> I don't know gives you more time, like I'll go meditate in the woods in the last ten years when I live to be hundred and sixty.
1: oh no, we'll go we'll go to Mars and meditate,
0: right, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Mars is like, who are you? like we can't this is not the puppy relationship. <laughs> we've never seen you before. <laughs> you didn't come from us, yeah. so when we talk about herbs, so okay, you have something that you're involved in where you're gonna be presenting about um herbs for day and herbs for night, tell us about that or tell us about.
1: Oh well, that's that was an initiative that was um, proposed by a friend of mine, Abra, who's a great herbalist in in Ottawa, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So it's a panel of five herbalists, and um, we're going to be talking about herbs that can help basically people in these uh, stressful and uncertain times.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so each one of us is going to talk for seven or so minutes on a herb that might be useful for some people to start exploring at night and a herb that might be useful for some people to start exploring during the day.
0: Mm, so just one for each to get people started? One,
1: one, one herb per herb list. Yeah.
0: Oh, cool. Okay.
1: So in total, there'll be five herbs presented during the night segment mm-hmm. and five herbs presented during the day segment. Yeah. That's
0: good. I like that actually, the circadian... Yeah. Rhythm, yeah, for herbs. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And we're not going to talk about, you know, the virus, you know, <laughs> the dreaded <laughs> yeah. virus, because um, there's there's just been so much talk, uh, and and mm-hmm. it's mostly about strategies and practices of connecting with the green world that can, that can help to to create greater resiliency in, in
0: mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the the only thing maybe. That I want to say about that, <laughs> which you could say more after I say this, but I mean, it's almost uh, more um, pertinent now than ever to connect with the natural world since we're physically disconnected from it, not allowed to be out in the natural world. Yeah. Um, whatever you want to say about that is inappropriate to be out in the natural world right now. Everyone is distancing, staying inside, and really all there is now are the unlawful images. Mm. You know? through the internet. Exactly.
1: Exactly, yeah. which is why I thought it was a good time to talk about this this mm. question of the image, mm. and what the implications of it are, because right now we're being bombarded in, in ways that, that uh, mm. well, some people are being bombarded in ways that they never have been before.
2: Right.
1: You know? And it's almost like people, someone who's working, a, uh, was working a full-time job and, and was laid off, now their full-time job is to consume images.
0: Right right you no know, mm-hmm. and so developing a shortage of media and news broadcasting oh,
1: you, you could you could you could be you could be hooked up to the computer the tv and the phone at the same time and, and have three streams of images coming in uh you know all all feeding the same the same intrinsic pathology
0: mm-hmm. and the issue is now it's our lifeline to connect to anything to people to work to mm-hmm. nature even you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the real disconnect is there. Yeah. And parks are closed. Like there's a lot happening. So to connect with herbs is kind of a good time. We're also inside and I've been noticing sleep is not as good because there isn't as much natural sunlight. There's not as much connection with the moon. Mm -hmm. These things that you would normally be experiencing at this time of year, um, getting outside more and it's not happening collectively as a global society. We're not getting outside.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. scary. Yeah, it's sad.
0: Yeah. It's sad. And when we talk about, so how do you want to end this song? What do you want to say about, do you want to end it on herbs or wrap um, it up? Or?
1: Well, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at this beautiful uh, uh, poem from Goethe. Yeah. Uh, and it's it just four lines. It says, Grant me a vision of nature's forces that bind the world, all its seeds and sources, and innermost life. All this I shall see. And stop peddling in words that mean nothing to me. So we'll stop with the words.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and we'll, we'll end it there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll put links on how to find you. <laughs> and yeah. we'll continue this conversation. We'll talk yeah, about Steiner part, next part, time.
1: Part two will be about Steiner. That's great.
0: So hopefully we help feed, uh, what, an hour and a half, hour 45 of words for for the audience so thanks everyone